Good, good. And Billy, I'll pay you later for the applause. I appreciate that. <laughs> Got to keep Zeke on his toes. It's, you know, it's important to do that. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I think, and there should be no rating on this or anything. I know you guys break out into a sweat when I come up here. There should be nothing adverse in this whatsoever. And I should use probably common terms that's used from the pulpit. <coughs> and so we should be nice and squeaky clean today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. And so you won't have to sweat from me either. And the weather is cool. So let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to glorify you and honor you and, and place this time into your hands. We praise you, Lord, that we can gather together and remember um, just um, what you've done, Lord, and, and um, that we can still come together and redo this in remembrance of you to uh, uh, place this time into your hands and these, these things that represent your body and your blood and... Um, that uh, we just glorify you in that, Lord. We pray that we will re that we will remain there, and that we will keep those things. We pray you'll open up your Word and teach us now that you move by your Spirit here today, as you already have in your worship and in this communion. We glorify and honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter eight. <clears throat> it says. Um, now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we have uh, that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by Him. We put a lot of stock into knowledge. We work really hard at it. We people spend tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in education to try to further themselves and to make themselves to, to the point where they have more knowledge. They build upon these things. And it's encouraged. Um, I, was, uh, I was talking with my niece yesterday, and she had gone to some little island off of Italy you know, on a vacation, and she said that... Uh, that the kids there, they in their schooling or whatever, are required to learn four languages. Four languages. And that's like a requirement. That's something that they have to do. And so knowledge is huge, and knowledge is encouraged, and it's one of those things that we pursue and such. The term here in knowledge, um, I'm going to use the backdrop of the Amplified quite a bit through this, so if I don't give proper reference to that. That's where I'm going with that. If all of a sudden I'm talking a lot and I'm using big words, that's come from them. It didn't come from me. Um, but in Thayer's Greek lexicon, um, knowledge here in this context here says the deeper, more perfect and enlarged knowledge of the Christian religion such as belongs to the more advanced, especially of things lawful and unlawful for Christians. And so this is, this is one of those areas where we're, we're growing, where we know things about our religion, you know, and, and relax, you know, I know everyone's like, I don't have religion, I've got a relationship, man, don't even, you know, and it's like, relax, don't get all puffed up, okay, you know, it's okay, relax, you know, religion is okay, we can use that word. Um, but in, in our knowledge of as we grow in our relationship and our religion and to come to know God and, and those kinds of things, we learn things and we, we grow in those things and we use those things in our life and such. And so when we get into those positions, then all of a sudden we kind of begin to look around and see different things and then it makes us nervous or we want someone to, to act a certain way or to be a certain way or, or the world is supposed to act a certain way and, and those kinds of things. And so we can fall into an area where it can be uncomfortable for us and for others and, and it can be harmful even in a way 
Um, the Amplified puts it this way, yet more knowledge causes people to become puffed up, to bear themselves lawfully and to be proud. And so I can, I can enter into an area where I can all of a sudden begin to try to dictate someone else's life or, or to, to lay on something or think in a certain manner as to how things should be or whatever. And, and sometimes, and I may be right, I may, that may be what the Word says or how things are supposed to lay in there, but I'm, you know, if I use that big killer Christian club, then I'm really not you know, helping anyone. I'm just causing them to bleed. And, um, but then it goes on to says, but love edifies. This term here, love, is agape love. That's what he's talking about here. That's the love that comes from God. It's an affection, again, from Thayer's. It's an affection goodwill, love, benevolence, especially of that love of Christians towards Christians, which is enjoined or prompted by their religion, whether the love be viewed as in the soul or as expressed. We have a common love for each other. We really do. We have the love of God towards each other. And, and as we then interact and those kinds of things, sometimes we can, seems like we can love someone to death. You know, we're going to make sure that they're okay or whatever, and we can begin to push away and all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of, you know, situations and scenarios. But the fact that it says edifies, edifies and builds up and encourages one, excuse me, to grow to his full stature. And so this should be pretty easy scripture. We don't want to get to where we learn a bunch of stuff and then we go out and we start trying to dictate someone's life and tell them how to live and what they're supposed to do. We're supposed to love each other, which is a common thing. We have this love that's a common thing that we can, that, that's God-given. And we're going to look at this in a minute. And, and, and then as that builds up, we begin to build each other up and to shore each other up and, and make sure that everybody, each other is okay and everything. And it's all good, you know? It should be a simple thing, right? Yeah. Until Starbucks comes out with their new Christmas cup, which is red, or it was, you know? They didn't put Merry Christmas on their cup. So this dude comes up with this whole thing about how Starbucks hates Christmas because they didn't put Merry Christmas on their cup. And so then they hate Christmas. So when I order my coffee and my latte from them, I'm going to have them put Merry Christmas on there. And so when they yell out across there, Merry Christmas, your coffee's ready, then I'll go over there. And so they are forced to say Merry Christmas on there. Come on, man. Now today, we don't know for sure because Merry Christmas could be Merry Christmas as we know it, or maybe he's finally figured out what gender he really is, and he's calling himself Mary now. And so, you know, and so he could be actually be applauded for something like that. So, you know, you kind of have to watch yourself. Now, this was last year, and so this whole other thing hadn't even happened yet. So, but I mean, you know, we don't know where this guy can end up at. But anyways... What he's saying, what, what, and then what happens then is okay. So this is a bonehead move, right? So what happens? Social media gets a hold of this, and he gets shredded. I mean, he is tore up. People are just hammering this guy. And who's hammering him? The world's not hammering him. They could care less. The church does. And so all of a sudden, we then move into this place where we say, hey, man, you know, you're not showing love. And because you're not showing love, and I know what love is, and you're obviously not doing it, so I need to tell you how you're supposed to love and all that kind of stuff. All I do is take myself and put it into this same position that he was in, and so the two are in this whole puffed up knowledge trip, and they're all beating on each other, and the world's like, going, that's Christianity right there. Yeah, wonderful. You guys are great. Yeah, sure. You can't even get it together over a cup. And, and, and there's no building up. There's no help. There's no nothing. We just beat on each other and we shred each other up and everything. And we do it to ourselves. And so he's telling us here, come on. If you're not building up, keep your mouth shut. If you don't know how to do that, it's okay. Just sit there then. 
don't tear each other up and beat on each other and all this kind of stuff because you could wind up becoming harmful in this manner. And so it's like, okay, so then I've got this knowledge, but I'm not supposed to use it. Or maybe I'm just supposed to be ignorant. Maybe I need to just check out and not pay attention to this stuff so that that way I don't hurt anybody. Well, that's silly. That's not going to help anything. We need to know Christ. In fact, it is 100% your whole base of your relationship is knowing Him. That's everything. Turn over to First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. Um, a few, about a couple of months ago, Abram and I went up to Fenner Fire Camp, and they called us off because there were so many fires going on, there was nobody there. And so... I got to go, we got to go up this last uh, few weeks ago, and we got to share up there, and uh, everybody was in and all this kind of stuff. But this, this group of scripture has been on my heart for quite a while, and, and, I, and I just kind of keep going over it and going over it. And the more that I look at this, and the more that God just kind of keeps showing me stuff, that, and that all the holes that I have in my walk, and, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's hard sometimes when you look at something like this and you're like, well, man, you know, do I, am I ever going to get this right? And the encouragement in this group of Scripture is tremendous. It is amazing. And it's cool that Pastor Zeke would share about Peter because he was a knucklehead. But he says some of the most incredible things. And this is one of those places here in Second. Um, Peter chapter 1 he just lays out a scenario here that is so awesome and that if there is no reason for us to be beat up and walking in some kind of defeat there is no excuse we don't I can't even say yeah but the yeah buts just go right out the window there's no way that I cannot be in a position of having victory in my life there is no way I can't ever go back and say and point to something else. It can't happen. <clears throat> it says here, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amazing scripture. And if we take this thing and we shred it up and we look at it and we carefully examine some of these things, we are given some of the most awesome things and opportunities that, that you can imagine. And, there w and we would never be in a position to ever dictate something to someone else because our heart would always be to build up. Always, always, always. And this is that place where we looked at love and we began to, to have that common thing between us to where we love and we interact in that way and we build up all the time because that's natural for us. We don't go the other way. If someone says some bonehead thing or does some goofy thing like that, we try to encourage and build up. We don't beat them up first and then try to build them up or some other thing. No, we don't have to do that. However, God... Now, that's not to say that there isn't discipline and different things and, you know, and how God lays on people certain things and stuff and He moves by His Spirit that way. He most certainly does. There's no, there's no doubt about that. 
but the end result will always be a building up and an edifying in some manner so that people are closer to him. That's what he does by his spirit. He does that and he's telling us here. But this stuff is all yours. Take this as being yours. To those who have obtained a like precious faith, that's us, by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now we could stop right there and we could talk the rest of the day and into you know next week. We could keep on going with the righteousness of God because that's just an incredible thing. But it says that, um, <clears throat> but um, as far as righteousness goes, but he who made, but he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Think about that. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are it. It isn't a floating thing that's out there that you might be able to obtain or grab a hold of or something. It's you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what he says. You have become that because Jesus went to the cross and died. He made him who knew no sin be sin for us. And in that, then we become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are his righteousness. And so with that base, to look at, then he goes on and says that then grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace. Grace I've always had a problem with. People always talk about the grace. We're going to walk in grace. We're going to move in grace. Grace is going to come on us. We're going to do all this stuff. It's going to be great, you know, and stuff. And I never really understood that whole thing because I figured once I got saved, that was definitely the grace of God that I got saved, you know. And so because of that, and it's certainly, you know, him, then, you know, and then that's a done deal, right? I mean, he gave me grace, obviously. He took away my sin and everything. And then, you know, why would there be more grace or whatever? Because, you know, my sin is removed. And so being the kind of guy I am, I kind of like stop right there and just kind of hang out. And he's like, you know, but the grace means God's favor. That's what it means. It's God's favor. And it's continuous. It never stops. He's always doing great. Uh, there's always his favor is always in our life. And he begins to move in all kinds of different places and in all kinds of different ways. Continually, it doesn't stop. It's always there. And so we always move and in, in, in such in His grace. It's always there. And then He goes on and talks about peace, which, which is perfect well-being. Check this out. This peace, He says, that you know, He gives us grace, God's favor, and then He says there's peace, which is perfect well-being, all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity and freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts yeah i want that well you got it guaranteed that's yours you know the freedom from from fear the freedom from moral conflicts and and those things they're all yours this is all real this is all yours that that that's something that you can grab a hold of that's yours and he says it's multiplied to you he says that that um it's multiplied to you in the full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As you grow and gain in knowledge of Christ, grace and peace, God's favor and this peace that He describes here is multiplied to you. That is yours. That's a guarantee. No matter what's going on, no matter what has happened, no matter how difficult things can be and how they can seem, His favor and peace is with you. That's what it says, and it's multiplied to you as you grow in the knowledge of Christ. You can see kind of a pulling away of this religious knowledge, understand this whole thing to where we've got a, a scenario set up and as we begin to really grow in Christ and we move in that and we know Him better and better and the grace and the peace begin to build in our lives, we can see a real pull away from being able to dictate something or have some kind of a mindset to where we just allow God to move in the manner that He so desires. And so in first in second Peter chapter three eighteen he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
So he comes back to a point where he says, now just grow in God's favor and in the knowledge of Him. Just grow in that. It's yours. Just do this. Grow in that. Make that yours. So, I don't usually like to do this, but Schofield has a wonderful uh, definition of grace. And it's just something that impressed me so much. I want to share it with you. Um, It says that grace is the method of divine dealing in salvation. Okay, that's mine. I got that part. I had that chunk in the front, right? That salvation bit. I understand that. But then it says, and in the believer's life and service. As saved, we are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.14 By having grace, we are brought into the highest conceivable position, which is Ephesians 1.6. God ceaselessly... Ceaselessly? Ceaselessly? Yeah, okay, said that. God ceaselessly works through grace to impart to and perfect in us corresponding graces. And that's that vine and the branches trip in John 15 and then in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit and that kind of stuff. So grace therefore stands connected with service, Christian growth, and giving. So in John 1.16, we begin to understand when he says, and of his fullness we have received and grace or God's favor for God's favor. As he builds upon his favor and as he builds upon his favor and as, as we grow in the knowledge of him and as we grow in his favor and such, these things begin to gel and move and work in our life to where we know him more and more and more and it doesn't stop. It just grows. And the more we know Him, the more we grow in this. Wow! This is incredible. And so when I get all beat up or I'm all feeling bad or I'm guilty or I'm ashamed or I'm, I'm you, know, um, you know, having a pity party or some kind of trip or something like this, you go back and look at this. Look at what He's given us. Look what He's doing in our life. But oh man, He doesn't stop. He goes on and says, His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power. He's given us His favor. He's building upon that. And as we grow in His knowledge, His divine power has given us then all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, he could say, you know, now, I'm going to give you a little bit of stuff in this part of your life over here, but in this part of your life, you're just on your own. And then if you know you're in church and you want to act godly, then I will help you with that stuff so you can look good in here and all that kind of stuff. And everything doesn't even mix at all what he's saying is he's given us everything by his divine power for all of life all godliness everything he's given it to us all of this together through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence which is his virtue so the whole Trinity thing begins to become into this whole play too because as God moves and as, as we become the righteousness of God in Christ then by His virtue and divine power and things then we begin to grow in that through the glory and His excellence and His virtue and stuff and it all kind of gels and comes together and we're right there inside this whole thing and it was all done for you. He did it on purpose just for you. Amazing. This is incredible. It's like, how did you get there from that puffed up thing? That's okay, we'll go back in a minute. Don't worry. This is God's thing, it's not me. So we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what this means. This is where it's going. That's what this whole thing is about. That's how it all begins to gel and fit together. Then he goes on and says, we've been given great and precious promises. And then he says, one of the things that lays me out, that I just 
I'm just in a trip over, and I don't even know if I'll ever get my head wrapped around this. He says that we may be partakers of the divine nature. Of all of the stupid things that I say, and all of the goofy things that I do, and the way that I act even now, I am a partaker of God's divine nature. That rocks me to the core. That makes me feel this big. I feel like a, you know, pond scum or something. Maybe that whole evolution thing is real and I'm it. You know, maybe I crawled out of the pond and became whatever I am. But, you know, it's like, come on. How can I have the divine nature of God? He says it's mine. It's mine. I got this. I am that. I am a partaker of His divine nature. How can I act the way that I do? It's like, man. You know? They get so caught up in all kinds of the peripherals and everything else, and he's like, oh, Gary, what are you doing, man? You know? Where are you going? Why are you going to go over there and do that? Or why are you acting that way? God's very nature. And then he says, having escaped the corruption of this world through lust. Have you done that? No, I haven't. I hope you are successful in this. The world is corrupt. The world is trying to take you down. It's trying to take you out. And it's going to do it through lust. And he says that because of the divine nature that we have as children of God, that we have escaped the corruption of this world through lust. That's what he says. That's ours. So we've got to then, it's like, yeah, right, okay. So preacher, that's really cool. That's really a neat thing to say. It sounds really good, you know, and stuff. So maybe people will buy your tape, you know. That's really great. You know, whatever. But it's not reality. You want to bet? The corruption and the lust of this world is not reality. This is reality. This is real. And this is ours. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. This is what's real. The other stuff is not the other stuff leads to death. This leads to life. This is the reality, and this is ours right now today. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is yours. And there is no reason for us to live in any kind of defeat, in any kind of failure, in any manner, because this is what's real. Yeah, but, uh, but I've lost my child. Yeah, but I, I, I'm, I've got cancer. Yeah, but I've got this. And he says, yes, I understand that. And I have not gone anywhere. It's all here. I am still here. And when this may be all over with, you will be with me. And that's not a, a thing that's just fleeting and floating. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And however manner he desires to use you in that way, you can trust that his favor is upon you because he says it is. And it's not changed. It's not going anywhere. It's you. It's yours. And it remains. Okay, I'm preaching. I'm going to go back. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. You guys are supposed to keep me in line. I'm, you know, pay attention here. Okay. By diligence, he says, then, add to your faith virtue, moral, which is a moral excellence. Virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, patient endurance, patient endurance, godliness. And with godliness, brotherly affection. Brotherly affection, back to love. There it is. And so now we're back at that place where we can edify and we can build up. But we have to be diligent in these things things because if we do that we will grow in the knowledge of christ and if we grow in the knowledge of christ the divine nature and the divine power and all that stuff becomes evident in our lives oh i can quench that divine power and that divine nature and that stuff and i can put it in the back burner or on the back seat I can try to step on it or set on it or cover it up. I can do all kinds of things so that it's not seen. And he's like going, you know what? The seat's going to get really hot if you're going to try to sit on my divine power or my divine nature. It's going to come out. It, I, I'm not going to allow you to suppress it completely. You can't do that. And so you're going to live this world that's in all 
an, an upheaval because God wants center stage. And he's going to get it one way or another. If you are his child, he will not allow us to stay and remain in the place that we are. He will continue to move us forward. So, <clears throat> verse 8 in this second peter says for if you do if for if these things are yours and abound you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ wow you will never be barren or unfruitful <clears throat> it's incredible and verse 9 says for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was con- cleansed from his own sins. There's, there's me. I knew I would show up in here somewhere. That's what happens. And then that goes back to our other scripture. If I think that I know, then I know nothing as I ought to know. Famous Groucho Marx you know, quote is, is that you should ask me. I didn't know it. That's what he says doesn't make any sense because but that's the way we are i think i know something but i really don't know because the way i'm acting proves that i don't know and so i gotta stop it if i'm not building up and if i'm not building up in love then i'm not in a position to be used by god the way he desires but then he goes therefore brethren be even more diligent to make your call and election sure and then he says it For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And that term, stumble, is fail. If you do this, you will never fail. Ah, I don't believe that. Well, you've got to believe it because the Bible says it. You don't have any choice. And it's yours. Because all this stuff that builds up to this point, he's telling you, if you walk in, in this manner and you're diligent in this you will never fail that's what he says no doubts no ups and downs no ins and outs nothing you are in this position you will not fail no failure doesn't just wash over you like some great sea you know and stuff you just got blindsided i don't know how i wound up over here man but i just did it's like forget about it You walked over there on your own power. That's how you got there. Because he says if you're diligent in these things, you will not fail. So when we go back then and we look at our other... Well, before I go there, i got to read 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's the end result. You're with Him forever. The cool thing about this scripture is, is that you then can live in a, in a positive uh, life here on earth, transferred from this world into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You can live in this in a reality now. Well, we're looking for heaven to come, but we can live a victorious life here and now. And it can be one of that reflects these things and this build-up so that we are not in a position to ever fail. That's what he says. Ah, nobody can do that. Well, the apostle could. The apostles did it. There's guys doing it all over the world right now. There's guys everywhere that live in this manner. They can do this. And they understand it and know it. Everybody has their ups and downs, obviously. But it all comes back to this. And this is the reality that's there. So then. So, let's go back then to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Looking at verse 4, says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom 
Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, obviously this was a question that was presented to him and he's, he's um, you know, coming up and talking about this now. And he's, he's really, the question isn't about food, it's about the root of the problem, which is there's no idol gods. There is no gods out there floating around. If you go you know, into another church somewhere or a cult or some kind of a thing like that, there's not going to be something jump out and snag you or anything because those gods aren't real. They don't exist. They're not there. Yeah, but what about demons and stuff? Well, he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. So if you're Christ, don't worry about demons either. They can't get you either. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has to. He can't stand. And so you're not going to have, you know, things tackling you and attacking and all this kind of stuff and doing all this trippy stuff to you. And he's telling us straight up, don't worry about other gods because those guys aren't worshiping anything that's real anyways. And so don't get all caught up in all that kind of stuff, you know. Oh, I know the occult is real. And um, we see a lot of it, especially in this area. But um, there's just... Um, you know, uh, he who's in you is stronger than so in Christ. And what, after what we just read, the devil can't do anything but turn tail and run because there is no way he can overcome what has gone on here because you are the righteousness of God in Christ and there is no touch in that. And he can't even come close. That means the pure righteousness of God and you have taken on his divine nature. How can he even stand in that light? He can't. Can't even come close. And so some goofy made-up God or some concept or an ideal or some other kind of thing or what's all that, you know, Hindu stuff with fish new and all that kind of stuff and all the multi-arms and fish heads and all that stuff. Forget about it. It's not even there. It's not even real. It's silly. So we're not even going to worry about that part. In verse 6, he, you know, he says, you know, that he talks about one God, for there is one God, the Father, and he's the source of all whom have life. Uh, one Lord Jesus Christ, through in whom are all things, and through in whom by we ourselves exist. There's no other God but one. Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus calls it the first commandment in Mark 12, 29. It's through Christ, you know, that we live. That's where it's all at. That's what it's about. And that's where we are, and that's where we remain. And so when it comes to worrying about, you know, um, food and those kinds of things, our base in our thought and process and where we're at and how we live our lives and where we look and those kinds of things, that sort of thing is the base from which we move from. And so this we can be assured of. If there's nothing else that we've talked about today that we're sure of, we can know that God is one and that he is, and th we live through Christ. We know this. And that's where our source of power and strength and everything comes from. We've got that. And he's telling us straight up, don't worry about all the other stuff that's going on there. Looking at verse 7. <clears throat> Therefore, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience becoming weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat or are we the better nor if we do not eat we are, the, are we the worst. But somewhere beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have Knowledge eating in an idol's temple will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for uh, whom Christ died. But when he, but when you thus sin against the brother and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. The problem's not with food and and that kind of stuff. It's with, you know, you know. It has to be a matter of heart. And that's where it is that he wants us to go to and gain an understanding on. <clears throat> Verse 9 warns us that we're not to allow liberty with certain issues that's going to stumble someone. 
And so then we kind of go back to where we started and how far am I willing to build somebody up in love? And this is important because this now becomes one of those places to where I put myself aside and just what is it exactly am I going to do to build somebody up or to be used by God to, be, to build somebody up that may be in a position that's weaker. If my spouse has a problem, she doesn't. So, you know, I don't think I'm not inferring anything here. <laughs> if my spouse has a problem with drinking and so they have put that stuff aside, then, um, and they can't do that, then I can't drink either. If my spouse is trying to stop smoking, um, then I have to stop too. Because that, oh man, you know, I, I can handle it. No, you can't, so stop. Because you're stumbling down. If there's certain issues with food or there's different things or whatever, I have to then start to adjust things so that I can minister effectively to others in that way so that I don't stumble them. And on the flip side of that, if my drinking impacts my family to some point or my drug use, you know, they're going to, uh, they're going to allow smoking of marijuana by the end of the year. We know this. It's going to pass. We know that. It's going to happen. And so if my smoking marijuana is going to impact somebody else and stuff, I have to stop. I can't continue to do those things. You know, th this is the kind of thing that, that I have to begin to examine what's going on in my life and how it impacts people around me and how does it affect my family. And, or not just my family, but brothers and those kinds of things. You know? This is, this is one of them things where I have to begin to put myself aside and start to learn to minister to others in some manner. It's important for us to do this. It's harder. It's not easy. But it's a place that we have to come to. Where we begin to examine just, you know, <clears throat> how far am I really going to go in, in trying to minister to somebody else? How far am I going to go to this extent? So they make sure that someone's okay and their walk remains strong. Where am I going to go with this? As a young person, am I really going to support my parents? Maybe there's something going on in their life. Or maybe it's a divorce or you've got a single mom or a single dad in the household and whatever. Am I causing grief and trouble? Or am I a help? Am I causing their walk to causing them to stumble? Am I because of whatever it is I'm doing cause my children to stumble? There, there's things that goes on in our lives. It goes far beyond food or whatever. And it's very interesting because as we begin to to you know the how this goes on and how we do this and how we answer these questions, the verses 10, 11, and 12 are very clear on this, and they show us what to do. He says, for if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. This is in the forefront of our mind. What kind of a relationship am I portraying and what kind of thing am I putting forth as others then interact with Christ and grow and what kind of walk is going on with them? Where am I going to wind up at and where are they going to wind up because of my actions? And I don't want to stumble anybody. I don't want my actions to mess up someone else's walk. When, Paul, when uh, Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, they wound up in Antioch, which is in Syria. It's north of Jerusalem by quite a ways, but it's, you know, kind of, they're kind of coming back home. And uh, they had been through a tremendous amount of persecution and stuff and fighting with the Jews mostly and all that kind of stuff. Well, when they got to Antioch, they ran into some guys there who really had a problem with circumcision and that Gentiles um, did not, you know, weren't circumcised. And so they thought that in order to be saved, they had to get circumcised. And so the contention got so great that finally everybody goes, you know what, why don't you guys go down and talk to the, 
to the apostles in uh, Jerusalem, which is the headquarters. Figure out what's going on here and let's get this thing worked out. Okay? And so that Paul and Barnabas go, okay, cool, we'll do that. So they went down to Jerusalem and they're all down there having this big meeting and they're having a contention there and everybody's fighting about it and stuff and everything. And it's just, you know, huge. And finally Peter gets up and he goes, all right, listen to me. Everybody sit down. You ever see that fiddler on the roof and that guy's like, quiet down, quiet down. You know, you can see him doing that. It's quiet down, sit down, pay attention. He goes, circumcision. We don't even like doing it. Why are we going to make these guys do it? Let's just stop. And everyone's like going, okay, sounds good to me. So they draft up a letter. James goes, okay, uh, which was Jesus' brother, the guy that wrote the book of James. He's like the head of the apostles. He kind of like became a big wig there. He's like going, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write up a letter, and Judas and Silas, you guys are going to take it up there to the guys, and you're going to explain to them what's up with this. And so we want you guys then to don't eat anything, you know, that's been offered to idols. Don't eat anything strangled or drink some kind of nasty blood. Don't do that. And then flee sexual immorality. These things make a lot of sense because they're talking to the Greeks. And we have talked about this before. The temples were places of worship, but they were also places where there was prostitutes and different things like that. And they don't want those guys going there. They don't want them going back to the old ways. They don't want them to stay out of there. And so they're saying, don't eat meat. From, that's been offered to idols. That way they don't get caught up in it. These guys are like going, eh, I don't have a problem eating a steak. That might have been one of the best restaurants were anyways. I don't know. You know, and if you wanted a decent piece of meat, that's where you went was to the temple because, you know, of Aphrodite or something like that. And so you would go there so you could get a decent meal. Or maybe it was your anniversary or something. You wanted to go and have a nice meal, you know, and stuff. And he's like going, no, stay out of there because it might, you know, stumble somebody. Don't go there. You know, and, 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 then he's, and then, of course, the sexual immorality, you can move right into that if you start to, you know, go to those places, you stay in those places, and then you kind of just hang there. Pretty soon you're caught back up in the old life again, and you're doing stuff that you're not supposed to do. So he's saying, stay out of there. You guys don't need to go there. So Judas and Silas, they take this, this letter and they go back up and they, and they go in and they tell the guys up there. And of course, the Gentiles receive this with exceedingly great joy, you know, because they took circumcision off the plate and they're like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll be Christians now, you know, that's cool, you know. And so they were all happy. Everybody was happy. Everything kind of laid in and everything was working good and everything. And so... In verse in, in Acts 16, then as they begin to, you know, um, they work this whole thing out. And then Paul and Barnabas decided to start their second missionary journey. And so they're going to go around to where all the places that they had visited and started churches and different things. And they're going to go check everybody out and see how they're doing. And so as they're getting ready to go, um, Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark, who was the guy that split from them in the middle of their last journey. And Paul says, I don't think so. That guy's a flake. And so they had a real contention. So Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. And then he took Silas, Paul did, and they went on up into the other churches in Asia and all that kind of stuff. And so in Galatia and, and all this stuff. And so they went all up in there checking that out. And they ran into a guy in, um, <clears throat> I forgot the name of the town, uh, well, Lystra. They went up to Lystra and Timothy was there. Now, you guys know Timothy from First and Second Timothy, and um, he's a pretty cool guy. He was fired up. His mom was Jewish and his dad was Greek. And so um, Paul asked if, him if he wanted to continue on their mission with them, and he said yes. And the interesting thing about this is, is that then Timothy went ahead and got circumcised before they took off. And this is interesting, and he did this so that he could effectively minister to the Jews. So we see right within the scripture themselves that there, there may be things that, that, that you know we stand strong on or whatever, but if there's things that we need to get rid of or to take care of or whatever so that we can effectively minister, then God will do that and we can do that so that that can happen. 
And even as we see it within the scriptures here themselves, these guys are the Corinthians are saying, what's the big deal? Is meat really going to defile me? And and Paul says, no, it won't. But the weaker guys are going to have a problem with it if they see you eating in there. So stay out of there so you won't get them all caught back up into the same old mess that they were in before. Stay out of there so they won't go in there. You know, they don't have AA meetings in bars. There's a reason for that. You know, you don't go to a bar or something and have a a meeting. You know, I got my, you know, three-month chip from Sandy's place, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like, no, you can't order the Thunderbird. I guess that's when everybody knows. But you can't, they can't do that because that's, shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, you know, you don't want people to stop drinking. That's like those taxes on cigarettes. We're trying to tax them so high that people don't use them. Anyways, I don't even go there. Um, But anyways, because of, you know, the Jews, he, he was circumcised. It was fluid in their ministry so that they could effectively minister to the people. And so the bottom line is, as you examine First Peter or Second Peter, and as you look at that and build upon that and begin to realize just the very nature you have, that's yours. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And so in that, as you stand upon that, and as you recognize it and realize it, then you begin to understand, you know, the very thing that, that Paul says here in verse 13. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat unless I make my brother stumble. Because he doesn't want to put anything in between what you know him and what or or put anything between god and somebody else so that they will stay on track and have that kind of a relationship let's pray oh gracious heavenly father lord we just in awe of who you are and and what you've given and um just the position and the place that that you've placed us in lord we're uh, it's hard for us to even fathom um, just, um, just what you've given and, and how we continue to just gain in your favor. Lord, I don't deserve to ever gain in your favor even from the get-go, but Lord, you continually pour your favor out upon us. Lord, I, I don't deserve this, but you love me anyways. And so, Father, I just praise you and worship you and glorify you. We all just... Um, desire to know you more and more. We honor and worship you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.